The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sisters, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, brothers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Come on, brothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown, good Lord, show me the way. Oh, fathers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, fathers, let's go down, down in the river to As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, mothers, let's go down. Come on down, don't you want to go down? Come on, mothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sinners, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sinners, let's go down, down in the river to I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown, good Lord, show me the way. The deepest death to self lies directly in the motives and the intentions of our heart. So therefore, the all-consuming motive for a man or woman who wants to die to self must be to simply have a capacity for Jesus Christ to live in us. This lies at the very foundation of the highest life in Jesus Christ. Now, with this pure motive fixed in our hearts that we are willing, with an all-consuming desire for Jesus to live in us, 
we must be willing to accept every occasion for humility and self-abasement, which God in his province allows to come to us. While on one hand, we are not to make or seek a cross. On the other hand, we are to sweetly, willingly, Accept every blow, every mortification, every inconvenience, every painful annoyance which comes to us that God's will would be accomplished. So humiliation is at the very heart of the Christ-like, the Christ-life. At the very heart of it, we are to be like Christ. He suffered we too will suffer. It is excruciatingly painful when someone begins to lie about us, when they begin to make accusations and they sound very righteous and very holy and very right, but they are utterly wrong. When they misconstrue the facts and lie about them, It makes me sick of heart. It breaks my heart. So when these angry false reproaches begin to come, the unkind treatment when you're with a precious friend and they're cold as ice because they have believed the lies, loneliness comes, poverty comes, Emotional distress so bad you can't sleep at night. Deep disappointments. As a friend picks up the lies. And then encourages the one who is the Absalom. When every disagreeable thing seems to happen. And your whole world is crashing. We are called to be in a state of of divine quietness. To face these very painful lies calmly, an occasion to actually begin to lose our own will and letting God take charge. When an Absalom comes into my life, I've determined I will not be like King Saul and throw spears at him. Rather, I will be like King David and merely weep and love him and pray for him. You see, these times of a very difficult, very difficult events, we must allow these things to increase our humiliation so that we might be more delicately and firmly knit to the will of God. I tell you today, I just want the will of God in my life. And I want the will of God in your life. When people make accusations, you want to rise up and defend and say, no, those are not the facts. 
But when a critical spirit begins like gangrene in a church, it sickens many. And each seems to have their own agenda to glom onto that gangrene. And soon it's a it's a mad stampede. I've seen it so many times. You see, there is no disposition of the soul which more quickly and completely destroys the flavor of holy love than this spirit of lying criticism. This critical spirit deems itself gifted from God with particular grace to detect and correct evil in others. With every step in the advance of grace, there is given to the mind a new degree of of light, of discrimination, to see the finer shades of right and wrong. But unless there is a continual increase in love, tenderness, mercy, if this does not keep up with the spiritual understanding, the theological understanding, if if the theology begins to run ahead of the light, the foolishness and the weakness of human nature will turn this power of discrimination into a death-dealing instrument. There is a, a frailty in human nature that assumes the throne of God in judging others. Because God gives religious persons the power to discriminate, a great many misinterpret the gift and conclude that they have a special mission to detect defects and to exercise a police authority in correcting others and hunting down their wrongdoing. So much is this true that some eminently religious people think that all the religion on earth would go to wreck if they did not diligently exercise their gift in setting others right. I have heard these legalistic, judgmental ones say that their primary task was to to love others by telling them what they're doing wrong. As a pastor, I have experienced this many times I've had a a brother who invites me to go do something with him and I say yes and we go and we have a good time and we talk and our friends and a couple weeks later I get a nasty note from him telling me all the things I'm doing wrong in the ministry so I pull back because it's not safe to be with him because he has a critical heart. And as time goes on, I finally get a letter that just explodes in anger off the page as he describes how wicked I am. Never mind, he doesn't know the facts. He doesn't understand. He's misinterpreted everything he's heard in the gossip chain 
the gangrene has reached his heart. And then he blows out of the church. Usually these people, before they die, will pass through ordeals or experiences which will show them the utter foolishness of their self-appointed mission for a critical spirit is always proof of a very low experience with Jesus, a very shallow experience with Jesus. The critical spirit hunts for defects in non-essentials. Like the Pharisees, it puts anise and cumin above the weightier matters of mercy and life. A critical person is is disposed to eye you from head to foot, to look at the clothing you're wearing, what you're eating, your facial expressions, your voice and your gesture. He's on a hunt for something wrong and is bound to find it sooner or later. The most awful thing about this critical satanic spirit, satanic delusion, is when it becomes, in the understanding of some, to be a part of holiness. I've experienced this. The critical spirit is almost always almost always a legal spirit. It takes the technical side of the law on everything instead of the love side. It has no curiosity. It doesn't ask questions. It just tells. It magnifies the systematic theology above the Bible. It puts doctrinal statements above the very essence of God's life in the soul. It will spend a great deal more zeal in hunting heresy than it will in secret prayer. And then when it finds something that they're very certain is wrong, they pitch into you with everything they have. And then, of course, they go everywhere else and pitch their line, like Absalom did. A part of what I have seen in this critical spirit that totally destroys the sweet love of Jesus this discerning spirit. I've seen that it combined with a legal attitude creates a person who feels superior, self-righteous. That somehow they have a right to say whatever they want to say to whomever they want to say it. And of course they'll say, oh, I'm only doing this for your good. I'm trying to help you. I love you. 
that kind of love kills and destroys and causes men and women to grieve before God. It doesn't matter how holy or useful a person might be when they are identified as being wrong, a sinner, doing something offensive. It's pounced upon while the real worth of the life or service are totally ignored. It doesn't matter that you have walked in holiness and righteousness and love year after year after year. But suddenly, the critical spirit, the Absalom, sees an opening and they go for it. Their mission. I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, we need to talk. Sit down and for an hour rail against some decision that I've made. And I listen quietly. They go away and they say, well, Pastor won't even listen to me. As though they are God. As though they, as though they know. Of course, no questions, curiosity, no asking what's happening, no investigation with the person involved. They've heard, they know. Off they go on their horse, criticizing and creating havoc and destruction. And I, I'll be honest with you in confessing this. As a pastor through the years, I've not known how to guard the flock from these Absaloms that come. Because one Absalom will create ten more Absaloms and create a whole rebellion. remember Pastor David Wilkerson from Times Square Church calling me and asking me to come to New York to spend some time with him one weekend. When I got there, I discovered the awful truth that his choir had turned in complete rebellion and some 200 people had walked out. He was heartbroken. The lies, the innuendos, the gossip, the critical spirit. I've seen whole churches destroyed by this. One person grabs a hold of a lie, pumps it up into something huge, and this critical spirit flows, causing destruction. This critical spirit magnifies the cooking utensils above the food This severe critical legal spirit resembles a very thin, bony man, sparsely clad, shivering in the cold of a day, spending his strength on how to build a furnace or stove instead of warming himself with the fire. 
this critical spirit puts a wrong construction on the very best of things. It imparts its own barrenness of heart. And what I mean by that is that when one person begins to criticize another person, those who listen to this criticism will come up with all of the hurts they have with that person and they will add all of the garbage they believe and so soon you have a whole indictment of a pastor or an elder or a leader in the church and then everyone knows they're right. Sometimes it explodes into public space and sometimes you don't even see it or hear it. You just see the effect of the love being drained away. You see a coldness in the leadership. You see a hardness of heart. Outsiders are not loved and welcomed. They're considered outsiders. There's the in-group, and then there are the out-groups. And pretty soon a church is filled with cliques. And the love of Jesus does not flow freely. And everyone is afraid to talk because everyone is a gossip. No one wants to share anything because they say the church is not safe. Well, what makes a church not safe? Gossip, judgments, hardness of heart, piling on. You see, in in the critical spirit, the facts don't matter. All that matters is the rumor. And then when a person is seen doing something, the worst construction is placed on that, and judgments flow. And relationships are broken. Distance is created. This is at the very heart of the bitter root. The bitter root that grows up and poisons many. And so, a person imparts their own barrenness of heart to the actions of other people. It thinks there must be a mean motive in every act and a treachery in every vow. I was in a church on one occasion where one person was hurting and crying. Another person was unaware of that person's pain and they were smiling and laughing with another about something. And immediately the word went out through the grapevine See how uncaring that person is? See how they laughed when that person was crying? The very worst construction placed on an innocent act. How heartbreaking. This critical spirit believes that there must be a thorn on every flower. They believe that they can construe all cheerfulness into something wicked, all deep seriousness into nonsense. 
seems unable to find the right key to unlock things with, and so it just breaks the the lock. It forces its entrance. The eye of criticism is always a misfit. It's always hitting at the wrong object. I have sometimes received three, four, five text messages a day condemning me for some action that I was supposed to have taken or some decision that is believed to be wrong and harassed and harassed by this Absalom, this critical spirit. A critical person inevitably will make himself the meter of the other person. And this is just as true in the area of religious experience as it is in other departments of life. So many Christians size up all of God's children by the phenomena of their own experience. They judge the repentance or consecration or spiritual experience of other people, tallying the outward technicalities with their own If a gold ring or a watch or a loud screaming or a bright vision or a ten-cent novel or any other particular phenomena happen to figure in their lives, then they think everybody ought to go through the same experience. They're disposed to criticize anyone's experience which either does not fit in with their own or which seems to fall below their own. Especially are they vehement against experiences which go beyond their own. They become jealous of other people's experiences. In my experience, nothing less than to be completely crushed into humility and broken, utterly broken, and lowly love will ever show such a person their narrowness and the wickedness of their self-opinions. The severity in judging others actually marks the low mark of their own spiritual life. Let me talk about some of the effects of a critical spirit. First, it blinds the eye to the beauty of God both at his attributes and to his image in others. A life of holiness that does not have in it a perception of the beauty of God, a sweet heavenly vision that puts a gentle spell upon our faculties, which secretly entices us to love God more and more and to love his creatures and to love his manifold image as pictured forth in his saints is unscriptural and pitched on the wrong key. A real holy heart is forever finding God in his word, finding the Lord Jesus in secret prayer, in the poetry of creation, in the workings of province in their lives. 
it's a notable fact that when religious people are suddenly flooded with the Holy Spirit, they will begin to affirm everybody looks beautiful to them. I've heard persons in testimony meetings under the fullness of love exclaim how beautiful all of you people seem to me. Such experiences are only faint touches of what heaven will be, where every single person will be enraptured with divine love. The critical heart deforms the mind so that it can see nothing of beauty. Nothing so utterly blots out this heavenly attractiveness from God's people as the spirit of criticism. Now, we all have natural infirmities. I do too. All of God's children do as long as we're living in this flesh. Yet if we fail to see the attractions of the Christ life if we lift our hearts up in pride and think that we have a right to criticize others to judge others to gossip about others we will lack the very essence of the life Jesus desires to impart to us gentle love now let me go back Try, try to address another part of this. And I, I'm going to share this in the way of a confession. I have taught on this radio broadcast and at the National Prayer Chapel a constant drumbeat of repentance and righteousness. And it is right that I should do so. One dear sister called me on Sunday morning early and said, Please, Pastor Ray, don't change your message. She said, You have been a father to Washington, D.C. We always know what you're going to say. We know you're going to call us to Jesus. You're going to call us to repent. You're going to call us to be righteous. She's right, that has been my drumbeat. But I must confess that in my earnest desire to teach you the, the gift of repentance and to teach you the gift of righteousness and holiness and to leave behind the sinning Christian, I have not adequately spoken of the glory of the gentle love of Jesus Christ. You see, when, when we begin to focus, as I have, almost solely on the doctrine of righteousness and repentance, it's very easy for us to become hard and brittle to be harsh with our wives, to be harsh with our families, to be self-righteous, 
and I believe that my clarion call to righteousness and people walking under that teaching has also opened the door and given Absalom an opportunity to come rushing in with his self-righteousness and with his lies, with his seduction. If there were honest, gentle, fervent tenderness and love in the church, this person would be quickly confronted and people would say to him or her, stop, don't talk to me about that until you've gone to that other person and spoken with them one-on-one. And if they won't listen, take an elder with you and go talk with them. And if he still won't listen, bring the whole issue to the church, but don't spread your gangrene in the church. Don't spread your manure that kills in the body of Christ. You see, where there is the flowing, tender, sweet love of Jesus in a people, there will be no room for gossip or criticism. There will be no room for judgments. There will be no room for lies because they in love will quickly be confronted and the person will be made ashamed of their wicked heart. And so I am adding a new dimension to my teaching from this day forward. Oh, I've always talked about compassion and mercy and love, but I'm now elevating that, as is in the Scripture, to a place equal or even above righteousness or repentance. It's the love of God that causes a man or a woman to repent. It's not correct theology. It's not doctrinaire teaching that brings a man or a woman to repent before God. It's love, it's compassion, it's mercy. Nothing so utterly blots out the heavenly beauty and sweetness of God than the spirit of criticism. Criticism disfigures the other person in the in the eyes of the one criticizing. It imputes ugliness to them and then scourges them for the very ugliness which their jaundiced eye has given them. That's happened to me just recently, where I've been scourged time after time by by an Absalom. A man who doesn't even begin to understand what the word love means. This critical spirit eats like a burning acid into the sweetness of spiritual life. There's a mysterious quality of heart gentleness and and soul sweetness in a truly crucified believer, which cannot be clearly defined, but you know what I'm talking about. 
It's a thousand times beyond mere sanctification orthodoxy. It's far more than outward correctness of life. It's much deeper than the proprieties of proper behavior. It's much more than a profession. It's much more than holiness, preaching, or correct doctrine. It's the very breath of Jesus in the heart. Yesterday at the National Prayer Chapel, we held a solemn assembly. I was very touched by the whole solemn assembly. As men and women stepped to the mic with weeping over their sins, confessing, admitting judgments, gossip, healing flowing. After the wonderful service, there was praise and worship. And then we all gathered socially to enjoy some respite together. It was a wonderful time. I wish you could have been there, all of you. We must have a change at the National Prayer Chapel, and that change is now in the process of happening. And the change is one that lifts up love and forbids gossip and forbids criticism. Is curious and asks questions. Will no longer make room for an Absalom, but instead will confront him and say, Stop. This is inappropriate for the body of Christ. We want at the National Prayer Chapel to have the very breath of Jesus Christ. We want at the National Prayer Chapel for the outward halls of religious form and teaching to no longer be the contents of the alabaster box, the divine spikenard of holy love, of heavenly love. Yes, we need doctrine, we need righteousness, we need we need repentance. But all of that is simply for the purpose of being free to come together and not judge one another, free to come and love one another, free to come and and nurture and care and encourage one another, not to judge one another, not to pierce one another with lies and stories made up. One hour of of critical thinking or one severe utterance of a critical spirit will strike through inward purity and sweetness like the touch of gall. 
And let's be honest, the spirit of criticism is so universal among Christians. It's the reason why it is so rare to find a real saintly soul who is charged with divine sweetness of spirit. Please, I want an entire church charged with the divine sweetness of the Holy Spirit. I do not intend ever for the rest of my life to go through what I've been going through through the last two months. It has been wrong. It's been sin on the part of many. And we must turn from that and we must enter into a place where a critical spirit cannot choke the channel of God's love in our hearts. We should not be able to speak and act in a manner that prevents the flow of the Holy Spirit through us or others. God desires that every one of us be a channel to his life. He wants to pour a stream of his attributes of grace and love and mercy through us according to our capacity to transmit this blessed tide. What is truth? Truth is not a doctrine. Truth is the person of Jesus Christ. Our capacity to transmit what God wants to pour into us will be in proportion to our purity, our righteousness, our spiritual dimensions, and in proportion to that nameless quality a divine tenderness which the Holy Spirit puts in us. There are some who rank as perfectly orthodox, very correct both in their outward life and in their teaching, very appropriate. Yet through them, there seems to flow no celestial circuit of joy, tenderness, mercy curiosity there are even persons who who say I am not walking in any known sin and technically so called that may be yet they lack the pipes for conveying a large stream of divine love to others. They're always critical, putting down, judging, being right. They have an interior choking somewhere. And if all their heart nature were thoroughly explored, it would be found there was a lack of basic kindness a smallness of charity, a severity of spirit, a tendency toward judgment. They are very eager to rule, particularly over a wife. They love being dictators. And so they make premature decisions about things and persons 
and something in the delicate machinery of their inward disposition is strangled and the Spirit of God is unable to flow through them. They prevent the full sweet flow of God. And the problem is not only do they lack now the ability for the power of God to flow through their lives because of this critical spirit, they now poison many others and cause them to also fall in to Absalom's camp. This critical spirit inevitably will poison other people. It is satanically contagious. Other persons feel our spirit far more swiftly and accurately than than they do our words or our deliberate actions. The soul is larger than the body and our spirits are larger than our souls. And wherever we move, we carry an unpronounced and, and indefinable spirit with us. The dominant inward disposition of the inner being is transmitted through the body, the gestures, the tones, the the eyes, the face. A critical spirit is felt by others even when the critical person is not aware that they are exercising their critical spirit. Now I also must freely admit to you that most of us are born with a critical spirit. It is only when we begin to allow ourselves to be humiliated, when we don't strike back at the Absaloms, when we begin to understand that in humility we must give everything over to the power of God. We must ask him to be our defender and we wait upon him in righteousness and holiness, knowing that we're clean before God, knowing that our actions were righteous, even though being harshly judged by others. And then we humbly turn everything over to the Lord Jesus. And we say, Jesus, Accomplish all that you desire in my heart. Jesus, I willingly submit to this embarrassment and to this harassment. I willingly submit to others lying about me. I willingly submit to whatever in your province you allow to come to me because I know with every wrong thing anyone does to me, I know, Jesus, that you will turn it around and work it out for my good and the good of your kingdom because I'm going to trust in you. I'm not going to defend myself. I'm going to humbly wait upon you. And whatever decision you make is okay. I will trust your decision. 
This is where a man or a woman begins to be firmly attached to the heart of God. It's not in the smooth places. It's not in the pleasant places. It's in these very painful, fiery places where we finally begin to see the very essence of our soul. and choose not to strike back and not to bite. Choose not to defend ourselves. And I tell you the question I have in all of this is, do I step in and defend others? And I'm growing in that as a pastor to know when to step in and defend the sheep of God from the wolf that attacks the Absalom that attacks. <coughs> but these are not <clears throat> these are not easy issues. <clears throat> Pardon me. These are not easy issues for any pastor to deal with. And I I would just ask you in the church, if you're a part of a church, don't criticize your pastor. Don't send him nasty letters. Don't leave him nasty messages. Sit down with him if you're that concerned and ask him many questions and understand his heart, understand what he sees, understand what God's saying to him. And if he's not a man of God, then flee that church. All of you know me. I've been very public on this broadcast. I've shared my heart with you many times. You know my walk with Jesus. We have five minutes left. I want to read a passage of scripture for you. It's found in Matthew, the seventh chapter. Stop judging so that you may not be judged. For in what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And in what measure you measure, it will be measured to you. And why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but you pay no attention to the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how will you say to your brother, you must allow that I may remove the speck from your eye, but pray, but pay attention to the beam of wood in your own eye? Hypocrite, you must first take the beam of wood out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye if your brother even has a speck, and if he asks you to help him with it. It's in Matthew 7, verse 13. It says, Then you must enter through the narrow gate, the suffering gate. For wide is the gate and broad the way, leading into destruction, and many are the ones entering through it, Have you made judgments towards somebody? Are you of critical spirit? Would you repent? Would you allow the love of Jesus to once more wash through your soul? Would you willingly, joyfully surrender yourself entirely to Jesus and no longer judge your brother or your sister?
Would you repent and make restitution for gossip or any other unclean thing? Would you come to Jesus? Now we have two minutes. I have ministered to you day after day, month after month. And now I ask, please, would you bring tithes and offerings to the National Prayer Chapel that we could pay for this month's radio broadcast? Please go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and you'll see a donate button there, and you can donate with a credit card on PayPal. Or you can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. And would you please, my precious brother and sister in Christ, would you pray for me? And would you pray for the National Prayer Chapel as we go through a very painful and difficult change time? We want the glory of God to be in that church. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. You're welcome to come. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.